The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host... Grace Goller. Welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Goller, and today we're going to be talking about meditation. I've called today Meditate or Medicate, that is the question, and we're going to look at the impact of meditation on chronic illness. Is it possible that meditation can be a cure? Or is it a good adjunct to other treatments that you may be having? The Mind Can Cure Cancer concept is not new, and we're going to take a look in the uh, history timeline at that. In fact, every few decades, the notion of meditation as a cure for cancer gets recycled into the public awareness. And we know that the long history associated with meditative, contemplative um, practices as well as prayer has been associated with palliating disease in some particular way. I'd like to today share some insights personally, um, not only from my life experience, but from my clinical practice. And um, as we look at the historical timeline of cancer, a few uh, highlights, if you like, a few keys will become very apparent. So if we look at defining meditation before we really begin, many, many ways of defining it, and it's probably one of those confusing things uh, for many people. It's like trying to describe the taste of a banana to someone who's actually never eaten one. So um, that can actually be very complex. But I guess to become conscious of your own mind is not a bad definition. Looking within, resting peacefully. And I think uh, that resting peacefully in the space between thoughts is not a bad definition either. I looked it up in the free dictionary online to see what their definition of meditation was. And it's the following. They say meditation is a practice of concentrated focus upon a sound, object, visualization, the breath, movement, or attention itself in order to increase awareness of the present moment therefore reducing stress, promoting relaxation and enhancing personal and spiritual growth. Sounds like a very good recipe to health, uh, doesn't it? Um, In going back along the history books here, we can go back 5,000 years at least. 
into looking into some of the spiritual practices, uh, particularly known to be in India. Uh, throughout the Orient, there were practices of focus and concentration. And in perhaps more recent times, uh, there's been a focus on the ability of affirmations, prayer, faith, um, and they've all got caught up too with this definition of meditation. So in looking back at the history, I was interested to look at the history of a fellow called Peregrine. He was born in 40 in Italy at around 1265 AD. And uh, after learning some major life lessons, he actually returned to his hometown and began to do good works and eventually joined the servants of Mary in Siena in Italy. He dedicated himself to the sick and the poor and uh, anyone who was on the fringes of society. He self-imposed a lot of penance um, and he began to be a standing person whenever it was not necessary to sit. He always stood. And this led poor old Peregrinus, Peregrin rather, to um, the condition of varicose veins and what we know as venous stasis. And apparently this later deteriorated into an open sore on his leg and eventually was diagnosed as cancer. Now we must remember in those times, of course, we didn't have biopsies. Um, we didn't have the ability to know perhaps what was a cancer. There were many people who had various ulcers in those days. But from the religious point of view, something very special happened. His condition apparently deteriorated according to the history books to the point that a physician who visited him in the Priory decided, with the consent of the other friars, to amputate his leg as soon as they possibly could. So the night before the operation, apparently Peregrine dragged himself before a crucifix in the chapter room. There he became drowsy and he had a vision of descending of Jesus down from the cross to heal his leg. The following day, as the story goes, the doctor arrived to perform the amputation but could find no sign of the cancer or even of a wound. And the miracle spread throughout the town by the doctor, increasing people's veneration of Peregrine. So he became St Peregrine, the patron saint of cancer. And he actually died of a fever in around about the year 1345 and he was almost apparently 80 years old then. He was canonised in December of 1726 and uh, therefore he did become the patron saint of those suffering from cancer. Now we hear many, many stories of recoveries and spontaneous remissions, some associated with prayer, people praying for people, um, some associated with meditative practices. But we always must keep a balanced view on the story because many of the stories that come through are anecdotal stories without any uh, biopsy results quite often or with mistaken results. Now this can lead people to going into meditation and looking at it as a cure and therefore avoiding all medical treatment. And really that's not what meditation is meant to uh, be the purpose of. It's really meant to be an adjunct to any other treatments that you may be following. 
the history books are very interesting to look back on. You know, we've got um, the story of the Buddha, for instance, and his experience. And throughout the centuries, there's been a lot of ideological influences and these anecdotal stories. Man's search for meaning and meditation are inextricably linked. And when there's a diagnosis of cancer, so many people want to know more about life. What is life? Where am I going? You know, where have I been? What does this disease mean? Questions like why me? Um, a whole host of issues are brought up that are very personal. Um, they're very spiritual issues. And this is often too when people turn to a practice of meditation. But once again, it must be kept in perspective, I believe, because over the years, I've seen many, many people avoid having medical treatment and believing so strongly that there was a possibility that a practice of meditation could cure them. And unfortunately, that hasn't um, come to fruition. And I think that's quite sad if, if someone does... Um, have the misinformed belief that if others have done it, I can do it too. And I think we've got to be careful when we base our, our views and our beliefs on the stories of other people. I think if we make a decision for ourselves that this might be the way we would like to go, because we also know that a practice of deep relaxation and taking that time out can be very important also in the death process. So meditation is a pretty good each way bet in that regard. I like to actually avoid the word meditation and prefer to use a practice of relaxation because I think that goes more across quite a number of um, religious beliefs and, um, and personal beliefs. And the crux of meditation really is about relaxation. Now, some of the more recent proponents of meditation um, and relaxation, um, we can look back maybe in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, it started to become quite popular. And there were different forms of this. One person was um, Ainsley Mears. He was an Australian psychiatrist. And he had a method of working with hypnosis. And he taught people a method of self-hypnosis, which he believed could be very helpful for reducing stress and therefore reducing the effect of stress and the chemicals that are created in the body from it. His first book was Relief Without Drugs, and that went worldwide. Um, that book was very, very useful for people who had fear and anxiety problems, um, for people who really weren't doing too well in life because of stress. Um, he was had a good model there, actually, because he was trying to encourage people into more self-help rather than depending on a pharmaceutical for, um, say, depression and anxiety. So his method of hypnosis became perhaps one of the first well-known ones during the 1970s and the 1980s. I actually happened to um, do some work with Ainsley Mears because my then partner, who was recovering from having a leg amputated with osteogenic sarcoma, which is a bone cancer, uh, he decided he would go to Ainsley Mears and learn about stress reduction. And one of the things that really came out of that experience for me was 
that it was all very well to learn these things when you were going through incredible pain and also uh, when you were having the fear of um, cancer returning uh, there were a lot of other things going on in life, very busy, lots of appointments. It was very, very hard to learn this new technique. Now, sometimes a teacher, someone like Ainsley Mears, can, by their presence and the words, um, induce a state of hypnosis in a client. And I certainly witnessed that. I also witnessed, however, when people left that meditation space where they had him as the teacher that they really struggled and they found it very difficult to do that particular practice. Now Ainsley Mears was a retired psychiatrist um, so he was practicing not as a doctor but really as someone who was experimenting with meditation and I do know that a lot of the reports um, that he made were not based on um, the medical facts he was more interested in the the person and the response of their stress than he actually was in a lot of the medical history and the fine details so once again it's very hard to know um, what was working here was it some of the people's treatment that they were having did their stress reduction indeed help their recovery there were people who um, did not have in fact any medical treatment they had outgrown it but found a great deal of solace in the practice of meditation with Ainsley Mears so um, I think I'd like to then move on to Herbert Benson now he also was of that era he wrote a book called The Relaxation Response and then another one called Beyond the Relaxation Response and those books are still available um, they were very useful, in fact, because he came at this from a scientific point of view and really looked at what actually happens in the physiology of the body when there is a state of meditation or a state of relaxation induced. So um, his books really uh, come at it from, as I said, that different angle and can give a little more um, basis and use the scientific method to really evaluate what happens when a person is in this particular state. The other person that I'd like to mention is John Cabot-Zinn, and that is J-O-N and K-A-B-A-T dash Z-I-N-N. And he wrote a quite a wonderful book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And his practice of mindfulness meditation, I think, is perhaps one of the most useful that uh, cancer patients can adopt. Remember, you're taking it on as an adjunct treatment, however, and not as a total treatment for cancer. And when it's used as that adjunct, I believe it can be quite a powerful tool um, in enhancing your lifestyle and enhancing your relationships. In saying that, meditation doesn't work for everybody, and there are a few precautions around that. Now, just as we're finishing off our first session today, um, I'd also like to mention another very special book and person who had an influence on myself again way back, I think, in the early 80s, and that was someone called Thich Han, and he wrote a wonderful little book called The Miracle of Mindfulness. 
Um, I believe that book is also still available. You'd certainly pick it up on Amazon. And that book was a great handbook for many people who really couldn't get their head around the process of meditation. Um, When life is busy, and even if you've got cancer, actually, life can be very busy, getting to appointments, looking after family, you know, getting meals, all the things that come into our daily life, and taking that extra half hour or hour for some people, and even three hours for some people, which I think is perhaps excessive, um, it's very hard to find during a day. So I think we need to be very practical with meditation. And uh, in being practical with it, I believe we can then use it as this adjunct for health, healing and recovery. We'll be back shortly. I'm taking a break now on Navigating the Cancer Maze. We'll come back with meditation and uh, getting towards the end of the show, we'll be looking at some exercises in how you can go about learning to meditate. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hello, Grace Gawler here again on Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're talking today about meditation and relaxation and its role in cancer recovery, healing, and uh, Before we move into looking at some practical exercises that I'll share with you today, I talked a little bit about the body-focused type of relaxation and movement. And um, 
I'd like to share with you an experience that I had which was a really enlightening one many years ago. I'd been meditating, or I thought I had been, doing my relaxation for quite a long time. Um, I'd had many teachers and I'd experimented quite a bit and I felt like I was meditating okay. But I discovered I was uh, sailing around the various spiritual practices like a ship without a rudder. And uh, although I had been with teachers, they had told me about how to relax, but they hadn't shown me. And that was a really big aha for me. So here I am, I've now, you know, imagine me in the, the 80s, I've got my own center for cancer patients, for psychological help and, and cancer strategies. And I was actually teaching people how to relax. And one day I had this enormous aha. It changed my personal practice and the way I taught meditation relaxation to others from that day onwards. So if you can imagine a room, 20 people sitting around, all seated, closed eyes, comfortable in their seats, trying hard to meditate. Now this group had been together for about six weeks and they'd had several different group leaders during that time. So I walked around the room and rather than me sitting with them, you see, I was up and I was looking at what people were actually doing. And I had a huge awareness. Some people were grouping onto the arms of the chairs and you could actually see the whites of their knuckles. Other people had clenched jaws. Their eyes were so tightly closed that they had the skin wrinkling up around the edge of their eye. Um, some were in an etched frown on the forehead. And I just observed what was happening to their bodies as they, in inverted commas, tried to meditate. So when the session concluded, I actually asked each person, I had never done this before, what their actual experience had been because I wanted to compare it with what I had observed. Interestingly, almost everyone said they had never felt so relaxed. They were being truthful because they thought they were relaxed. But it was obvious to my eye and observing their bodies that they were having a very different experience in their minds and their bodies were in a state of tension. So there was a disconnection between the mind and the body. And we do call this mind-body approach medicine or technique or um, many other words for it. But what we find is many people, when they don't have a teacher, when they haven't really gone to someone who said, this is how to do it, they will actually have this disconnection between mind and body. So the body's just doing what it habitually does and the mind's having a nice mental gymnastic of some kind. This was a huge aha to me. Um, and I think it just reflects how often in the busyness of our daily life that we become unaware of how our body responds to stresses and strains and how those stresses and strains actually get stored in the muscles. So this is more what we're looking at here in using practices of relaxation meditation um, and then adding to those imagery, contemplation, whatever, because we're really looking at how to uncoil the spring in the body, how to uncoil that tension that builds up day to day to day and eventually starts to shape our body. Um, and in a way, many people ignore the body 
and I even know for people that uh, that are living here in the facility where I am at the moment, there's many, many people who do exercise but take their mind away while they're doing their exercise. So a mindfulness practice would be bringing the mind home and actually being aware of the body. Now this gets quite tricky for people with cancer because if you have cancer, you often feel, and this has been related to me by so many patients, that their body has let them down. They feel like they need to escape from their body and they'll often go off and learn meditation and feel that they're getting worse, they're getting more fearful, they're getting more jumpy um, because they're actually doing a meditative practice that has no connection. And this mind-body connection is very important. I do believe it can assist the self-repair mechanisms of the body, that it can help with lowering things like blood pressure when we relieve the tension in the body in particular. Now, as far as curing cancer goes, I think that's a whole other story. But I think as a lifestyle adjunct for prevention of illness, for making our lives better, our quality of life, of course it's going to be better if we de-stress and if we find a way of effectively, and that's the emphasis on that word, effectively de-stressing. Because like myself, I've done meditation, practiced it for so many years, and yet I did not have the aha of this. It actually wasn't until I um, did a course, a training in New York, with somebody who was called and still is called the doyen of body psychotherapy and her name's Dr. Alana Rubenfeld and she pioneered a method called Rubenfeld Synergy. Now I travelled from Australia to New York to be a part of her training program and that was my big second aha in actually having body awareness and actually knowing the impact of the motions as well as stress on the body. And it was during um, my training course that I actually found I was carrying a good deal of stress and tension. So I'd had my first awakening. This was my second awakening. And when I really learned how to be very present, how to be very mindful in my body, I found I was actually able to teach it to others. So there is a, um, a bit of a guide for you in looking for a teacher. Look for someone who actually can do the practice. Look for someone who can actually be with you, someone you can trust, someone who can use safe touch. Once you've got that going for you, you can then go away from a session um, with a tape, um, if you're a bit old-fashioned, or your CD or your iPod, and um, actually then listen into that, and you will be tuned in to the, probably that person's voice, order some music, combined with some silence or complete silence with a little bit of voice. It's very, very um, selective really for each person as to what is actually going to work for you. But that is really one of the inroads to deep relaxation in the body. I do suggest people um, don't meditate or try to do their relaxation on the bed. It's often associated with sleep and you'll often go to sleep and sleep is very restorative but it's a different experience to having the experience of deep relaxation and that reminds me if you do go to sleep at night and wake up tired and feel like you've run a marathon during the night it's highly likely that your body 
is very tense and when you go to sleep the old habitual patterns come in and uh, you know you might scrunch up your shoulders or tilt your neck or whatever that might be and your body gets locked in that position for the night and you wake up and you feel tired and you feel achy. Learning how to do this relaxation prior to going to bed actually can have a tremendous impact on insomnia. Really feeling gravity in your body and allowing your body to become heavy. So maybe on the floor having a little mat right next to the bed doing a 10 minute body relaxation and really stretching out and feeling almost as if you could fall into the floor um, is a very good way of uh, doing a relaxation before bed for some people. Now for other people it might be going for a walk and actually getting the lactic acid out of their muscles that's built up from um, stress during the day or from sitting at a desk or the vascular system's really sluggish and it may be for you that going for that brisk walk at night could be just the key. Um, there's many, many ways of doing this, so just don't get stuck on one technique. So many techniques around. We haven't talked about transcendental meditation. That's been a really popular one. Um, I will talk only about the ones that I've had personal involvement with and now we must be up to somewhere around 16,000-17,000 patients that I've personally worked with over my 40-year period. I've seen a lot of people try a lot of different techniques and uh, I've really been able to work out the techniques that have been the most useful for them. If you suffer from PTSD and you're aware that you do, this is something you really need to specifically get some help with before practicing meditation or relaxation. Sometimes when the mind becomes still and the body becomes still, there's certain things that can arise. And some of those can be negative emotions. Some of them can be images. Some of them can be past experiences. So it's important that you don't get uh, yourself in trouble and um, you know have an episode or you know palpitations or have an anxiety or panic attack. Um, which can happen. Look, it's it's rare, but I have seen it happen, and it's very scary, and would be particularly scary if you're doing that on your own. So, like everything, you know, training in something, if you really want to do it and do it well, be trained in it. If you've got a career as a, um, as a typist, you know, you have to go to a, a school and be trained in that to be the best typist that you could be. Meditation is no different and relaxation. Um, I think for people who are wanting to follow a, a meditative path, um, check out with somebody who works with cancer, check out in your hospital, find out where there's a relaxation group. There's many good resources and on gracecallermedia.com I'm going to be putting up some excellent resources for you. Not only the names of the, um, the books but uh, and some of those people who wrote those books but also some of the cancer centres around the world who published some absolutely brilliant material on this subject. So we're going to come back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze. We'll talk a little more about technique um, for relaxation meditation and cancer therapy.
Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegoller.com. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Goller Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Goller Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today we're talking about the practice of meditation and its relationship to recovery. So over the years, we were talking about uh, the walkway, the timeline, and uh, mentioning a few of the resources and books that I have found useful and many other people have also found useful in walking the cancer path. Um, The evidence for meditation, it has been studied quite a lot. We mentioned the studies of um, Benson, and we do know some things about meditation, The positive side, the upside, is that research has shown us, and the experience of people, of course, has shown us, that meditation can help to reduce anxiety, can help to reduce stress, lower blood pressure, impact chronic pain and make it more manageable, and help people with insomnia. So anxiety seems to be one of the uh, things that meditation can help quite a deal with and again I'm using meditation relaxation here as interchangeable Um, I I have in my practices over the years and in my workshops had people of so many faiths you see and uh, I had to find a way of working with stress reduction and relaxation that really didn't tread on the religious toes of some of the people because basically I think a lot of these practices do come down to the same thing of being still, of being quiet, 
of relaxing the body and therefore slowing down the processes of the mind. Um, in some of the studies that I looked at, and I looked at quite a few before um, coming on to air today, there was a controlled study of 90 cancer patients who did mindfulness meditation for seven weeks. And out of that study, it was found that 31% had fewer symptoms of stress and 65% had fewer episodes of mood disturbance than those who actually did not do the mindfulness meditation or relaxation. Uh, some studies have also suggested that more meditation improves the chance of a positive outcome. Uh, whether that is so and whether it's the type of meditation that people practice, we do not know at this point. Um, I can say, however, that people who are practicing mindfulness meditation where they can really feel that it's working for them and interestingly, when people around them notice there's a change in them, uh, then you probably have a very good impact on the way that you're actually managing your illness, managing the disease. And that's something that we teach in our cancer strategies workshops that we do in many places around the globe, um, as well as in Germany when we take our groups there. And uh, the people who are doing this kind of, I call it in the body, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment, um, in the body awareness and mindfulness and centeredness tend to be people who are getting far more realistic about their illness and really wanting to improve their life quality through the process of a daily practice of some kind of meditation or relaxation. And that can come not only from sitting still. Many patients find that being active during a process of mindfulness works better for them than trying to sit still in a chair. So it's courses for courses in, um, in meditative practice. Now, does meditation have any side effects? Um, there have been a few issues with side effects. And I guess when we're talking about side effects, we're looking at some of the negative reactions. I mean, complications are pretty rare with a practice of relaxation or meditation. There's a small number of people who've become disoriented or anxious they're not supposed to or cause or meditation um, and experienced negative feelings and this is often associated with stilling the mind and processes of PTSD in particular uh, becoming more active so uh, I think anyone who's going to take on a practice of meditation you're best to find someone who can help you in the beginning who can walk you through the process of deep relaxation who can explain to you the type of meditation that they do. You may even like to try yoga. And I know some of my patients have said, look, I'm unable to do any other kind of meditation. I've tried Qigong, I've tried Tai Chi, I've tried sitting still, I've been to workshops, I've been to Buddhist workshops. But the thing that helped me the most was actually yoga. And actually doing the stretch exercises of yoga combined with the deep breath work, combined with the counting of breath, and also utilising the uh, deep relaxation that is performed at the end of, say, a Hatha Yoga session. 
So there's many, many roads to roam here. And if meditation appeals to you or relaxation appeals to you, do get those books that I um, talked about earlier because some of those books have got some excellent little guidelines in them. But you do, I think, need a guide, especially if you're going to be doing this for working with cancer. Um, As said before, my first involvement with the practice of meditation was my partner and being in one-on-one session with um, the late Ainsley Mears and really seeing what happened to people who uh, had these anxiety and stress problems when they went under this uh, hypnosis. Now, Mears had a very, very um, interesting voice and he had a very distinct way of walking around the room and using his voice and using sounds and actually doing touch with people, touch people on the shoulder as he walked around. And uh, from my experience too, I think when you have safe touch, and I emphasize this is safe touch, um, from a practitioner who's teaching you the art of relaxation, and it is an art, the combination of the touch and the relaxation and the voice and perhaps even some music. We didn't mention music before. Music can also come into this. It doesn't always have to be silent. Even listening to classical music while you're doing your deep breathing um, is an excellent way of de-stressing. So looking at meditation, I I think... um, in the actual practice of it, we did some definitions before and I'd like to just uh, mention a few more of those to you before we move on with actually talking about how to meditate and some of the other implications of it. I guess meditation is also described as non-doing. It's non-doing and it's non-striving. So that makes it really difficult, doesn't it? When we're looking to get well, we're looking to use this for a purpose for health. Um... It's helpful, as we said before, mindfulness bringing yourself into present time. A lot of people think that meditation is about spacing out and it's about separating you from your environment and just getting away from it all psychologically. That's certainly one way of doing it and in fact there's certain practices for helping with dying that I've become involved with that actually take you off and away. But from my experience, 40 years now in working with people with cancer and with doing a lot of stress reduction with them, I rather think that the way of awareness and mindfulness and being in the body and being aware of the body uh, to a very, very great degree is very important. And I think that combined with what we talked about before as time gaps um, can be a very powerful combination. And I had the pleasure of working with Olivia Newton-John several years ago and she was going through a very stressful period. Uh, I'd met Olivia at a conference, um, a spa conference where I actually gave a presentation um, where I stood in for her actually and uh, she came up to me afterwards and liked the presentation and uh, we got to do a little bit of work together here. So she took on board the notion of time gaps And we mentioned this a little bit earlier. So for people who are very, very busy in their day, just doing this little stop and having a space, having a breath, 
centering yourself and then going on with your day can be very very effective and she said it was one of the most powerful things that she learned and um, was something that she kept on practicing and she likened it to just filling up an energy bank because you know what we do that really stresses us out is that in life we often run one um, activity into the next into the next into the next the phone's ringing the children are wanting something, you're in the office, someone comes in, you're interrupted, and so on. And it's very, very helpful if we can just remember and learn to take that little gap. It's probably less than a minute. And if you can do that throughout your day, and as a cancer patient, and I really think this is one of the very, very effective um, ways of doing this for people with cancer, just throughout your day you actually are putting deposits in your healing bank account and then by the end of the day instead of being in uh, bankruptcy you know when you've had a lot of energy go out and you're really tired you've actually put a lot of deposits in that bank account and that can make a huge difference towards your experience of quality of life and in fact towards your recovery your approach to people etc I suggest you try it and just see how it goes. It's a lot easier to find a minute here and a minute there throughout the day than it might be to think I'm going to sit down and by by golly I'm going to meditate and I'm going to do this. Often in that striving and trying the whole experience eludes you and you finish up with nothing but frustration and a busy mind. So that's been certainly my experience. Um, The other experience has been for some people doing movement. Um, movement with meditation, movement with Feldenkrais, movement with Tai Chi. Um, It doesn't suit everybody, but for the people that it does suit, um, it's fantastic. So I really suggest you think about it, read about it, play around with it a little bit, and actually see what suits you. There even can be a practice of sitting and prayer, and prayer for maybe even just that minute, and doing that throughout the day in your every one minute. It's very much um, you know, geared at the kind of person that you are, at your belief system. And I, I think it's not appropriate to take on the belief systems of others in this spiritual sense because I think that can create another kind of stress for cancer patients at this particular time. So we're going to take a break again on Navigating the Cancer Maze. We'll be back shortly and talking more about relaxation and meditation and its role in healing. Don't go away. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. 
Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegoller.com. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler, and today we're talking about relaxation, meditation, and cancer. Um, The practices of relaxation uh, can teach us to be more aware and to notice the effects of stress in the body. So we've talked a little bit of how to de-stress. The time gaps is a way to avoid the stress building up. And that's something that I'd really like to just reinforce with you today. Because if we can deflect the effects of stress building up in the body during the day, we've really made a very big impact on how our body and how our mind is going to feel at the end of the day. Um, the methods really need to flow into your daily life. There's no point in um, coming home at night, doing your meditation, doing your yoga, feeling rushed, you know, looking at the clock, setting the alarm, um, and having a whole kind of anxiety around that either, because uh, that's not really going to be effective. It's like going two steps forward and and uh, two and a half backwards, in fact, because often you're going to build up more stress from that. And I can remember um, Sogyal Rinpoche, who has authored the uh, Tibetan book of Living and Dying. I did some uh, workshops and retreats with him many years ago, and he used to say, if you have a session of uh, relaxation or meditation, he would call it at home, and leave the house and not take the benefit with you. It's like leaving your elephant at home and looking for its footprints in the forest. And I've always uh, liked that little saying of Sokyo Rinpoche's. Um, In terms of a practice of meditation, it's very simple. Progressive muscle relaxation, really helpful. It's as old as the hills, it really is. But it actually does work for most people as an introduction And I must add, most people do go to sleep on their first few sessions of trying this. And you know why? Because you're tired, uh, you're probably pretty stressed, and you probably need the rest. Um, So it's good to make your sessions uh, short rather than try and do the long sessions in the beginning. But just lying on the floor, counting your breath, and noticing the feeling of your body on the floor. 
and really invite your body to relax deeply into the floor and feel the weight of your body. You can really have a sense of gravity actually acting upon your body. And you can start at your toes and work through to your head. You can start at your head and work through to your toes. And all you need to do is contract the muscles slowly. So for instance, if you're starting at your feet, you contract the muscles of the feet slowly and then very gently let them go and allow them come to rest. And then you might move to your calves. You'd do the same thing. You'd contract the muscles of the calves and make them very tight to the feel and then very slowly just let them go, let them relax, let them just melt into the floor. And as you move that body relaxation, that progressive muscle relaxation, we call it, of tensing muscles, holding that and then letting go, you can actually have quite a nice experience of relaxation and letting go. And I think that letting go word is a very important part of this because so much of illness is about hanging on. And um, so much of illness can be about resistance. It's resistance to a lot of things that you have to adapt to and are so difficult to adapt to. And this is where you can bring in this strategy. Um, I call it a really top cancer strategy. If you can utilize it to help you to adapt better to the changes that you're going to have. Um, And I'd really emphasize again, please, 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 Don't uh, think that meditation and relaxation is a replacement for any chemotherapy, radiation or a cure. It is an adjunct for your life quality and a strategy to help get your body in a better state. In a better state to deal with illness psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And that letting go of tension in the body can be so, so helpful to you at a time of need. As you know, I've had a lot of um, issues myself after I'd had a um, complication from a surgery, finished up having 21 surgeries all up, a bionic colon, and um, having a few near-death experiences during that time as well. And um, if I hadn't known these principles and been able to practice them when times were really tough, and um, there wasn't looking like there was a lot of uh, hope there for me or options to be able to just be centered in that, to be able to be mindful, to not lose the plot. And that's not to say not expressing emotions either, but just staying centered and focused to the task really helped me get through. And we often hear of stories of you know, people who've lost limbs to shark attacks, uh, particularly here in Australia, um, or had a car accident or, you know, had some sort of dismemberment happen to them. Now, the people that we see that have got some mind training here, um, perhaps someone like a Navy SEAL, and we have a story here in uh, Sydney Harbour where someone um, actually was attacked by a shark. And the mental training that he had had prior to that experience was really important in getting him through. His name's Bob DeGelder, and you'll find him uh, on the internet also as a resource. He has written a book, and I think that's also very inspirational. Because, you see, when most of us um, get cancer or you get a, a condition out of the blue, if you are not trained to deal with that, 
in this particular way, it makes the journey so much harder because we just kind of feel like we're thrown into this uninvited change. And so you're very fortunate if you have had a practice of yoga prior to a diagnosis of cancer or if you have had um, a practice of meditation, relaxation that's worked for you or some kind of mind training because it really helps you on the path. It's more difficult and more challenging when you haven't and that's where these little techniques can come in so useful if you haven't had that particular training and the time gaps once again is one of them. I will put a reminder for you on grayscallermedia.com about the practice of time gaps and how you can put deposits into your bank account every day, every week, every month and build that up into credit. And that credit is the resilience actually that at the end of the day comes from these strategies of a practice of deep relaxation, mindfulness and it's the real, real essence of meditation. So I hope that you've been able to pick up a few tips today. I've had that very personal involvement with a story of um, someone with cancer. My, uh, my first husband, my ex-husband now, he's still alive. He had a leg amputated with bone cancer. And um, there's been a lot of stories about his recovery that have been in the media that are not accurate. And um, it's very difficult when you have a story that doesn't get reported always uh, by the media in the accuracy that it should be. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can also visit the website, as I said, grayscallermedia.com. That's my blog. You'll find lots of info there. Now, next week on the show, um, I must mention this because it is um, Cancer Immunotherapy Month for the US. And I do have a very special guest with me um, next week from the Cancer Research Institute. And we're going to be talking about cancer immunology. Um, her name is Jill O'Donnell Tormey. She's a doctor, a PhD, and she is the Chief Executive Officer and Director of Scientific Affairs at the Cancer Research Institute. They're a non-profit. They were founded way, way back in 1953. That was when I was born. Um, and they are a global leader in supporting and coordinating research aimed at harnessing the immune system's power to conquer all cancers. So that's going to be very exciting. Um, don't miss next week. Jill O'Donnell Tormey will be with me on navigating the cancer maze. Have a wonderful week and I look forward to meeting you on the air next time on the show. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.